Welcome to Idaho Speaks, Idaho's conservative talk show. My name is Ed Bejarana. I created Idaho Speaks to give voters access to conservative ideas. Liberal media and progressive activists are working hard to change Idaho into the next California or New York. Please share these episodes with friends and family, and let's keep Idaho, Idaho. Welcome to Idaho Speaks. Thank you for tuning in and sharing these episodes with your friends and family. Today's Week in Preview is more a peek into what can be, or more to the point, what should be. Let's just dive right in. Last week, the Post Falls Library meeting I announced here in Idaho Speaks was very well attended, and lots of parents got up to speak about the sexually explicit materials that are available to minor children. Many read sections of books that are available for checkout, and many more were offended by the content. I've talked about this subject many times, and we'll talk about it many more until the problem is fixed. Question, what does that mean when the problem is fixed? We all use that phrase like it means something. What does it mean to fix the sexually explicit material problem in the public library? Some would say when all the books describing how to give a blowjob or perform safe anal sex is unavailable to 12-year-olds in the public library. Others would say books on same-sex relationship or transgender topics are restricted or removed. What would you say is the definition of fix? This is a difficult topic, not because any of us disagree on it. I don't know anyone who wants their 10-year-old child to learn how to perform fellatio. This is a difficult topic because removing the books from the library does not fix the problem. For years, conservatives and the NRA have been fighting against the progressive agenda to outlaw guns. We say guns don't kill people, people kill people. Without guns, murders would still happen. Heck, mass murder would still happen. Need I point to the many times trucks and vans have been used against crowds of people? Joe Biden and the liberal media are hell-bent on removing guns from society. Well, on the other side of the coin, conservatives are hell-bent on removing sexually explicit books from the library. I ask, What about Amazon? Are we going to try to remove all the sexually explicit books from Amazon too? How about Google? Anyone can search for any type of sex act they can think of and find hundreds of high-definition movies on the topic. Are we going to remove them too? How many of the top 25 songs in the American pop list talk about an explicit sex act? 10%? 25%? Half? If success in the public library is defined by removing the smut, I say success cannot be achieved. Dare I say, will not be achieved. Let me inject a little something about books on pedophilia. Anyone who would publish a book that has a single sentence about a minor being raped 
should be arrested. Trying to win this battle at the library level is a little too late in the game, if you ask me. For that matter, trying to defeat sexual impropriety at the library level is equally too late in the game. My mom was born in 1911 at home in Helena, Montana. She was raised in Butte, Montana, and I understand even back then, those mining towns in Montana had had quite a number of those house of ill reputes. While it was quite improper for a lady to show skin above the ankle, those whores sure did show a lot more. Funny thing, one would think those ladies of the night would have starved to death for lack of business, what with no one wanting to pay for their services. I mean, since sexual impropriety was so discouraged back then. Hold that thought for just a moment. Remembering back on my mother's stories, she came of age in 1929, an 18-year-old woman who helped her father on the ranch by cooking in a chuck wagon for the cowboys who drove broncos for the rodeo. At least that's how the stories were told to me. When I learned about the Great Depression in school, I asked my mom what it was like. She was working as a nurse in Butte, and so she had regular meals and a roof over her head. She told me of the shanty towns that popped up all across America. I asked, I asked how anyone could live in a cardboard hut in Montana in the middle of winter. She said they didn't. They lived in the basement of churches and in converted one-room school buildings and any place else that could be converted to help God-fearing people. When my mom told me that story, it, it didn't mean the same as it means to me today. As it means for today's podcast episode. People did anything they could to help God-fearing people. During the Depression, I am told, churches were the mainstay of charity in America. They were the soup kitchens and the tuberculosis wards. They were the schools and the homeless shelters. During the week, the churchgoers did the work of God, and on Sundays, they listened to and read about the Word of God. The percentage of people who did not attend church was so tiny that it wasn't hardly measurable. Now, I was a smart aleck, so I would push things when I heard these stories. I said, the American Indians did not believe in Jesus, and what about the Hindus and Marxists? Right about then, I would get a swat on the behind, or well, I was a bit too sassy, across the face. Funny story, the worst beating I had before turning 10 years old was from my dad at the dinner table when I said something to mom. I said, woman! That was all I was able to say. Honestly, I don't remember what I was going to say after, woman. But that was the only word I got out before my dad slapped me hard across the face, knocked me back in my seat. It was a solid backhand to the cheek and left a mark. I never referred to my mom in a derogatory manner ever again. That week at church, my parents made me sit in the confessional and tell my sin to the priest. I had to say a number of Hail Marys and Our Fathers. How many of you were raised Roman Catholic? 
Those of you not Catholic, you never got to experience the Stations of the Cross. When my sin was bad enough, and they frequently were, I had to go to each Station of the Cross and recite a number of Hail Marys and Our Fathers, and then sit in the pew and do the entire rosary of Hail Marys and Our Fathers. Now, I could recite them fast, but that, that's not the point to today's story. I had a penance for my sin, and my parents had the strength and will to enforce compliance. This last weekend, Kay and I took some friends to go see All Shook Up at the Croc Center. We are season ticket holders for all of the arts in the community. CDA Symphony, where I also serve on the board. CDA Summer Theater, Aspire Theater, who put on the show this weekend, and CYT Theater. We also attend the CDA Chorale shows and now the CDA Chamber Orchestra. We love the arts. We especially love the fact that we don't have to go to Spokane to enjoy the arts, but I digress. One of our guests this weekend is blind. As the curtain lifted, the first scene was done in silhouette with four performers on stage, three women downstage and one male upstage. You couldn't see their faces, just the orange and blue colors behind the performers. It was actually a stunning set, and I immediately thought, Donna Marie cannot see any of this. So far in the production, 20 seconds or so, there is no dialogue, and just instrumental music. My blind friend is being left out of the performance. I looked back at the booth to see if there was a describer behind the glass with a mic. I looked over at Donna Marie and noticed she didn't have a headset. I sat for the entire first half of the show thinking about all the parts of the production she couldn't experience because she is blind and no describer was available. Okay, what is a describer? I should take a moment and explain. Much, much like a signer hand signs a performance for the death, a describer describes the scene, costumes, colors, and motion that is taking place on stage to the blind. Uh, a narrator of a live performance, if you will. I know I have talked about my business transition to audiobooks and my desire to produce content for the blind. I guess I should toss in a sponsor message here and say, today's episode is sponsored by my company, Zenith Exhibits. <laughs> Shameless, I know. But actually, I received a phone call last week from a listener who heard my spot on Idaho Speaks about being a book narrator and asked me to audition to read his book. So advertising does help business. The first words out of John's mouth was, I learned you were now doing audiobooks, and I prefer to do business with local people. So if you have a book you'd like narrated, give me a call. I'd love to audition for your book. So back to my story from this weekend. As the lights came up, on intermission, I leaned over and asked Donna Marie if they had describers here at the croc. She said no. I stood up and looked around the room. Was there a viable room for a describer to do their thing? Turns out there is two soundproof rooms with glass windows looking onto the stage. Someone could be in either of those rooms and not be in the way of the production and provide a service for those who are blind. There are almost 20 million Americans who are blind. 
4.2 million Americans are ages 40 plus are blind and, and or visually impaired. I was shocked to learn this stat, but there are 63,657 youths ages 0 to 21 who are legally blind. During the intermission, we talked a bit about described theater. Donna Marie shared a great story about one show she attended in San Francisco where the describer was describing the hot pants worn by the female performance, and she leaned over to her husband and told him to stop eyeing the girls on stage in the hot pants. Her husband had forgotten she had a headset on and was getting descriptions of the show. Trigger with Aspire Theater is going to get a phone call from me this week as I throw my hat into the ring to volunteer to learn how to become a describer. Furthermore, I'm starting a new nonprofit organization. You, you've heard me talk about it here on Idaho Speaks called the Veterans Club. The Veterans Club is a self-service project I have dreamt up to provide a place where veterans can help veterans in a one-on-one setting to avoid the emotional trauma that befalls so many vets. Part of the Veterans Club program is doing services work in the community, helping seniors, read to children, entertaining people in assisted living facilities. And I am adding describing live theater to the list of activities available to participants of the Veterans Club. I know in today's episode, I have not given you much of a preview of what is happening in the state or community. But this is a week in preview just the same. Kay and I attend church at Lake City Church. Due to illness and health issues, we attend church online. Mike, this week, gave a sermon based on the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, Jesus saw a man who has been blind since birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus replied, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So often we see situations like the show at the Croc Center and say to ourselves in disgust, how dare society forget the blind? Someone should be held accountable. We look at the books in the library and say, someone should be held accountable for allowing such smut to be read by children. We see a homeless man begging on the street and lay blame on the individual or on government for not doing more. Church attendance in America has fallen below 50% of the population. First time in our nation's history. Mike's sermon at Lake City Church this week was so appropriately timed that I point to divine intervention. I think Mike was talking directly with me this past week. I'm going to call Mike as well and share this story with him. Not because his sermon set me into action. God did that 54 years ago when he filled my heart with a desire to serve others. God did that when I watched the performance this weekend through the eyes of my friend Donna Marie. God did that when he sparked my mind in the motion to create Idaho Speaks and spend time with you every week. Now, twice a week. 
No, I'm going to call Mike because I want his help bringing faith back to our people. Okay, that sounded weird. I'm going to call a pastor with a congregation of 2,000 plus and ask for his help to bring the gospel to people. Yes. Mike this weekend talked about the effectiveness of various church promotion efforts. He compared those groups who set up to recruit members to the church versus those who set up to pray for others and live a God-fearing life. Over the weeks and months ahead, I'll talk a lot more about the Veterans Club, Baby Boomers Radio, and the Business Buffet for the Blind. For today, I want to plant this seed and ask you a favor. And I'm going to steal from Mike's sermon for this exercise. Close your eyes right now. I mean it. Go ahead and close, close your eyes and visualize a child you know who is currently not in a relationship with God. Visualize his face, his or her face. Hear their laugh in your head. Now pray this. God, would you please grant this child the heart that opens to your gospel? That's it. Pray for a child. Heck, pray for their parents too. Let's pray that people throughout our community can open their hearts to the word of God. Going back to 1911, with the prostitutes advertised openly down the dirt road from the one-room schoolhouse, God worked to keep those children safe from sexual impropriety. Going back to the Great Depression, it was God's people using God's house as a shelter and soup kitchen that saved millions from the elements and starvation. We, as a people, didn't count on government to solve our problems back when my mom was a young woman. We counted on each other and the teachings of the gospel. We didn't wait for some government bureaucrat to shelter our children from the dangers of society. We shelter our own children. We didn't call on the government to feed or clothe us. We prayed for guidance, and we set an example for our children to follow. While I did not enjoy the punishment of the Stations of the Cross, I learned a valuable lesson from the experience. (laughs) Well, many experiences anyway. Call me a slow learner. The solution to smut in the library is teaching our children to respect themselves so much that they don't need those materials. Not to sound any more preachy than I think I already sound, but The devil has been tempting man since Adam and Eve were alone in the garden. We were weak then, and our human nature will make us weak now. Your children and grandchildren are unarmed against the temptations of the devil if you don't take it upon yourself to inspire them with the teachings of Christ. The homeless man will remain homeless until you inspire him to find the strength to be better. The blind woman attending a community theater event will not be granted the full experience until I step up and describe the show for her. Donna Marie, I make you this promise. Before God calls me home, I will describe a live event for you to see. I will add my voice to the chorus of narrators helping the blind to read the words written on page. I will inspire the next generation to take up the cause 
of helping others. We've reached the end of the episode, but not the end of the issue. Please share this episode with your friends and family. If you have questions or would like to share your own issues and ideas, visit www.idahospeaks.com and click Share an Issue. Your state, your voice, Idaho Speaks.